And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. What's going on, man? Oh, I'm trying to figure out how to be successful. I'm hoping you have some input for me. I think I got a couple tips for you. All right. Well, and before we get into that, today's episode of Start a Puzzle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. And that's a startup we own together, right? It is. Startups, startups, startups. How many times do you say startup in a week? Because I feel like I say it quite a lot. Is is Fullscale still a startup, or it's a verb now? No, is I don't. No, it's not a verb. I gotta take that People thing full scale. Yeah, but they don't say I'm going to full scale that and then call us. So, yeah, now we're not talking about what is a startup. Today, we're going to talk about startup success. And you know, recently in the full scale blog, which comes out Monday through Friday, you should check it out if you're out there listening. We do a lot of really interesting articles, not only about startup and entrepreneurship stuff, we also do some technology-based things. And sometimes it's just simple stuff. You know, what is a angel investor or what is a venture capitalist? Stuff like that. But recently we had an article about startup success and we had done some research and we came up with five things that, that most successful startups seem to do. And we had wanted to come back around to doing an episode about that. And here we are. So now, you know, Matt, you've you've been in the startup game for a while. You've exited Venn Solutions successfully in 2011. You know, as an investor, a founder, and an observer, have you do you notice that that successful companies tend to do a lot of the same stuff? I think there's a pattern to it, you know. And we, uh, you know, we just did a podcast about being a successful entrepreneur and there's some patterns with some patterns to that and some traits. Right. And I think there's definitely some patterns and the more you're around as like an angel investor or startup accelerators and communities, you, you kind of see the people that stand out above everybody else. They have kind of different traits and a little different tenacity about things. Yeah. You know, so I've noticed the same thing and whether it's about startups or life, you know, I actually wrote a book, Balance Me, A Realist Guide to a Successful Life. And the whole premise of the book and the, the thesis of the whole thing was that success is a repeatable thing. Like you can, it, you can model it out. You can do things to be better at it. There are certain things that are going to throw you in the, in the gutter and certain things that are going to rise you to the top of mountains. And, you know, other than the, that, determining that success demands payment in, in advance, I found that successful people and businesses do very much follow the same pattern. And if you follow it too, you have a high likelihood of being successful. Now, it doesn't mean just because you follow that, that these patterns that you're going to win every time, but there are some certain, there are a few things 
that you have to start with that really make a lot of sense. So you ready to dive in, sir? I'm ready. I want to hear the blueprint. I'm not going to call it a blueprint, but <laughs> definitely, it's definitely a guidebook. How, how about that? How do I become a verb? I want to become a verb. It, you want to be Watsoned? Yeah. Oh, man. If someone told me I was getting Watsoned, I'd probably just run the other direction and just see me like take off into the sunset. So, all right. So in, in regards to the, the five things that we found that successful startups do, it has to start with a solid vision. And I, you know, it, it's, it's off. It, it, I really talk to people a lot of, and they don't seem to have a well-rounded vision or a solid vision for what they're going to do going forward. They think they're going to do something, but they might be a little uncertain about that. Is that kind of like when you graduate from high school and you're like, I'm going to go to college and you're like, what are you going to do? Like, I don't know, but I'm going to college. Correct. Okay, well, what a fucking yeah. waste of time that is. <laughs> right. You don't know what you're going to so, do. And we, we've said this over and over again, but, you know, starting a business isn't for the faint of heart. And it takes a lot of dedication, takes commitment, it takes perseverance. And, you know, when they call it a startup for a reason, because you have to start up every single thing about the business. And, if you don't have a solid vision for what the business is going to do, then it's just like that driving force that's going to take you through challenges and also help you get through the mundane. Like anytime you start a new business, there is a massive list of things that you have to do once and they can water you down. It can water you down. It can cloud the vision. It can do a lot of different things. I mean, Matt, when it comes to, all right, so let's look at your, your first company, Venn Solutions, which you guys sold for an insane amount of money. What was the vision early on with that? You know, ironically enough, um, it, it, it in some sense, it started as a side project. And at that time, I would have never even known what the word startup or entrepreneur was. It was just like this side project. I was just helping a guy build software and have fun. But the vision you know, for the product and what we were doing was trying to help car dealers take pictures of cars and get those pictures on the internet and sell cars on the internet. And I know that sounds like a crazy idea, but this was 2003 when people didn't really have digital cameras. So that that's when you got Auto Trader magazine at the gas station still. Like it was a little different world still. Um, so, that, I mean, that was kind of the vision and the goal and it kind of morphed over time, but so if you're going to have a solid vision, you got to be able to project this out in a five and 10 year kind of way. Now, for those that have listened to many of the older episodes, you know that Matt and I aren't massive advocates of over planning, right? There's a big difference between a plan and a vision, though. And I know that doesn't, some people would say, wait, isn't the plan the vision? No, the plan is the blueprint, the nuts, the bolts, the circuits that run the business. And the vision is certainly within that plan. But, you know, like, where's your business going to be in five years? How about 10? What's going to get you there? What are some of the things, like, are you, have you determined your purpose as an organization? And have you defined and described your short and long-term goals? Well, somebody, somebody once described it to me as like, you're stuck in the middle of the ocean 
and you're rowing along and you're rowing towards a certain island and you're, you're going to get, you're going to drift. There's going to be high seas. You're going to go around in circles a few times. You're going to get a sunburn, but you're going to keep heading towards that island, right? Like that's your North star. And the, the road to creating a, any kind of product and startup is very bumpy and, and maneuvers a lot. And it's not a straight line. I think that's the point. And, um, but you got to have kind of a solid vision of where you're trying to go, where you're trying to get to the problem you're trying to solve. And sometimes you figure out you solve the problem in a different way, or the person, the people that you solve the problem for is different than you originally thought. Like, but you still have to have that vision of the problem you're trying to solve and you got to keep going that direction. Yeah. And in, in regards to your overall vision and stuff, so we'll use full scale as an example and fullscale.io if you want to check out what we do. So we have a long-term vision that is often referred to us by employee count. So right now we have just under 200 employees, but the way that things have been picking up and growing, we are well on pace to have around 2000 employees in three years. Now, the reason that this vision is important is because we will sit in our own planning meetings and our own stuff and say, hey, if we're going to have 2000 employees, what works today or what we're doing right now may or may not actually work, fit, be scalable or be possible. So your vision can determine a lot of your short term actions, the plan you take in the now rather than the later, but you can use it to really try to determine like, is what I'm doing right now still going to be a fit later? And you're, you're, what you're trying to stop yourself from doing is having to undo the, a giant ball of rubber bands that you've created with decisions that you made being blind of your own vision. Yeah. Do you have any comments on that? Well, think about um, some people that, that start kind of weird businesses that um, require like a really long, a long-term vision. Like think about, we mentioned Elon Musk on another recent episode, but like Tesla, you know, the goal was to build a affordable electric car that anybody could afford. But it took them like 10 years to get there because they had to do some other things to make the company profitable and get some revenue and get some traction before they'd eventually be able to deliver what their true vision was. But they did it. it took 10 years and now they're the most valuable automotive company in the world, which blows my mind. Yeah, it's crazy. And that's, and I, th I think recently their stock's gone up by about 40% in a week. Um, it was already up there. So, okay. So we did a few episodes in the past about why startups fail and some of the common errors and mistakes that many of them make. The next item on our list for being successful was also one of the top reasons that startups fail. And that had to do with having a great product market fit. And when we did the episode on the top reasons that startups fail, not having a great market fit was in the survey that had been taken had put that amongst one of the top reasons that many startups go out of business. So obviously you have to have that great product market fit. And, you know, that means that you offer a product or a service that your market wants and that they're willing to pay for. Um, on some levels, you know, there has to be, you need to, 
your product needs to help people save money, make money, gain status, have some kind of peace of mind, um, save, you know, just the time savings and stuff like that. There has to be something there and there has to be a big enough number of people, buyers, users to support your business going forward. And I think that a lot of people come into this kind of blind. I mean, I, I've seen it a lot. Have, have you? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's really easy to build a product because you, you know, you like the product, you know, you're like the mad scientist in the lab who builds this product. And, um, but then trying to figure out, okay, who else really wants to buy this? And so a good example might be, you know, people joke about trying to sell popsicles to Eskimos or something like they would never buy a popsicle. That's the dumbest idea in the world, but mango flavored popsicles in the Philippines. Holy shit. You'd sell a lot of them. Right. Um, and so sometimes it's, it's, you got to identify who you're selling to and, and getting the product the right way. And, and we've struggled a little bit with this at, at Stackify over the years. It's like, who is our customer? Are they big companies? Are they small companies? Is it IT administrators? Is it software developers? Is it DevOps people? Who likes our product the most? Who gets the most value out of it? Um, and this is like the total death trap that if you never figure out um, who is the best user of your product, you just die. You, the company just never succeeds. Yeah, and there's a there's a mirage that occurs for many, and I and I've admitted to to succumbing to thinking that that a giant addressable market was a good thing. Um, it maybe if you sell Pepsi or Coke or something like that, something that can uni universally be consumed by the masses. But when I first start, uh, started building Gigabook, I, I remember specifically saying. Anybody that takes appointments could use this. Well, the problem was, is we didn't specify, we didn't fit in a specific niche or product type. So when, as more and more competition came along and we had industry specific solutions, they won those, the market share in those different industries pretty easily. Cause in the end, people don't want to set things up. They don't want to learn how to use something. And software that is specifically tailored to uh, create solutions for well-defined problems in an industry is often adopted by the industry yeah. more so than something general. So with what we the what we decided, we found that there was a lot of a lot of uh, industries that needed something highly customizable. So that is the route that we took. And, you know, just yesterday I was looking through some different search results and I found Gigabook on several, it mentioned as on several top appointment software uh, lists. And all of them said, if you need a high level of customization, this is for you. And then some of them even said, but you should know there will be a little learning curve with it because there's so much stuff to customize. So now that said, we have some very interesting uh, industries. There's a, do you know that there's an exorcist that uses Gigabook, Matt? Oh, yeah, I've used them. Literally, I booked an appointment. You, you, you booked an appointment with, it, with the exorcist? Was it for <laughs> your startup? Were you trying to exercise the demons from any of the businesses that you're around? Because I, I think that if yes. we, we need to have this guy on the show. But, you know, there's a lot. Yeah, I didn't even realize you could do online booking for an exorcist until I saw 
that account booking. But my point is, is there are certain industries that have certain needs. And if you can wrap your arms, I've saw a lot of our competitors, like when escape rooms became very popular, I saw a couple of our competitors were able to quickly adapt their platforms to be very specific for that. And they won huge market share. And you know, the, sometimes those little things can, can have a lot to do with your success, like identifying underserved needs. And that's that's the approach that we took, you know, and, and when it comes to your product market fit, you know, what what's your value proposition? Like, Matt, what's your value proposition at Sacrify? That That's always the thing that's always, you know, evolving, right? And, you know, for Stackify, we're just trying to help software developers improve their software and be, you know, get more work done. Um, you know, on this subject, there's a really good book called Crossing the Chasm. I want to make sure and mention, and it's about the technology adoption lifecycle. Um, so it's really easy to, to build some software and then go find like five people that like it, but it's a whole different world to then scale that to the masses, right? So it's, it's easy to think you get quick success because you get some, uh, you know, the innovator, innovators or early adopters to use some sort of technology. So even back to Venn Solutions days, like uh, we could find a few car dealers that would take pictures of their own cars, but not all of them had digital cameras or the salespeople didn't want to do it or like there was a million excuses, right? But there were early adopters who were like, oh, this is cool technology, I'll do this. But to then scale the product market fit to the majority of the market, the people that come later is a whole different challenge. And that's where a lot of people struggle is they, they find those early adopters and they think, Oh, I've, you know, I've created something awesome and I've got 50 customers, but then they never get past it because there's not enough mass market appeal. It's like a friend of mine made like some uh, special flavored mayonnaise and all his friends loved it. All his buddies loved it. He sold a few jars at the local grocery store, but that was it. It never caught on. It, it didn't get past that kind of first early stage. And there's a lot of companies that struggle with product market fit in, in this scenario. It's like they think they're successful. They get a little ways, but it doesn't really scale to the masses. And there's a great book all about this called Crossing the Chasm. So, you know, another thing is that is still within this category is just your general go to market strategy. Yeah. And, you know, that's something we've talked about a lot in the, in the past as well, because some people are great at building a product and that's about all they're great at. They're not really great at getting it out there, at marketing it, at putting it in front of the right people, at making the necessary changes. Um, at, you know, another thing too is, is part of having a great product market fit is truly understanding the benefits that your product or service provides to your clients or users. And if you can't define the benefits of what your own product does, well, then how would you expect a potential buyer or user to do it? So spend some time figuring all that stuff out. Okay, next on the list. Would you like to do, be next on the list or would you like? Absolutely. So the next item on the list is healthy work culture. And this comes up a lot, but what is that? Um, you know, it's being a fun place to work. You like your boss. You like what the company's doing. You know, the company seems to be winning. Everybody likes to work there. You know, all those sort of, you know, fuzzy, fluffy factors that go into being just a great place to work. 
Um, there's no one exact thing. It's just, you know, you just either have it or you don't. Yeah, I think you know we've done episodes in the past on this, and we did some with Frank Keck, who is a has written books on the subject. But I mean, really, in the end, if you want to attract and retain top talent um, and people that understand your vision, then you have to cultivate a healthy work culture. Now, I think that this is a, a is an interesting thing, especially right now, because. You know, there was this arms race to see who could have the coolest office with the most bowling alleys and air hockey tables and, you know, sushi chefs and stuff like that. And now all of a sudden uh, people are working remote and none of that stuff matters yep. because no one's nope. at the office. And and then on top of that, and, you know, some of the things that so at full scale, all 180 plus employees are working remote right now, whether they're in the United States or whether they're in the Philippines. And it's required a different approach for us to maintain a healthy work culture because, you know, being around positive winning people is important. And we try to hire people that are in that boat. Now, what happens when you remove them all from each other and then lock them in their home for months at a time? Well, and you bring up a whole interesting topic of this is what is work culture in a world where everybody works remotely from home and people yep. never see each other in person right that creates kind of a whole different challenge in work culture and you know at full scale you know we've got a few employees in the united states but we got close to a couple hundred in the philippines and you know one of the things that you do is you go over there multiple times a year and be with the team and meet the team and and part of it instill some of that culture right by as a leader of the company um telling them this is what we do this is why we do it what kind of questions you have, rallying the troops, all the different things, right, you would do. That's how do you do that in a world where you're 100% dispersed and remote? It's going to be a whole new challenge for companies. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, you mentioned, you know, when I go over there, I, I mean, I take time, I go and speak to, and it's, I can't speak individually to all 200 people there. Um, it just, I don't, I would take weeks to do it well, but I go and, you know, sit down with small groups of people and, and talk to them about, you know, what, what are you having fun with here? What do you not like? And these things, and, and I take it really seriously. Um, I'm listening for things that sound like echoes of people telling me the same things, you know, like this is the, and, and I, here's the thing is the littlest things and, and what might seem like it's not, a big deal can be a big deal to other people. And, you know, at full scale at our office in, in Cebu, we, when the office is open, we cater a meal and that is a huge benefit. It is not, well, it's expensive when you talk about feeding a couple hundred people for a month, but on a daily basis, it's not a huge expense. That is easily the most popular benefit that we have at that office. And, you know, I, if I was there and I told, and I told everyone that we weren't going to cater meals, I don't know if I'd get out of there alive. <laughs> and it, I'm, I'm serious. Yeah. It's not just about a couple bucks a day. It's about, it's also about the fact that those are the, it keeps our employees there at the office. They eat with each other. They meet other people that might not be on the client team that they work for a lot of different stuff. And, and, you know, there's, there's little stuff and it could be, and in some cases it's been 
things that I'll say are quote dumb, like we shouldn't have ever had a problem, like not having uh, uh, paper towels in the bathroom at certain points, you know, and it's just because the building wasn't paying attention to it. And then we would, someone would say, well, that's the building's job to do that. And I, I show up and I'm like, why are people saying that there's sometimes not paper towels in the bathroom? Let's make sure that never happens again. Because of all the things that we go to a big effort to try to improve, grow, and cultivate, you don't want something dumb like that to be what people are complaining about. So, you know, the, what might not seem like a big deal to you might be a huge deal to someone else. So you got to just try to find that. Yeah, you got to just kind of find that balance. And, you know, I mean, and, uh, you know, it management can have a strong influence on that company's culture. And I think another thing that has to do with it is you, people in your, at your workplace, at your business, they have to feel that their voice is heard. Yep. And Absolutely. you know, there's just simple things like you, you use a, a, a feedback tool that helps with that, right? We do. We have um, an HR management kind of, kind of thing we do to check in on our employees on a weekly basis, to get feedback from them. Yeah, and at full scale, we have we build our own our own management system, and we have a feedback system in that that when our employees fill it out, it's delivered to all management, and it's usually it's well thought out, insightful stuff that comes up. So you know, there's a lot of different ways and a lot of a lot of technology out there that can help you uh, create healthy work culture. And then some of it too is like you know, Matt, you've said so many times, everyone just wants to know if we're winning. Yeah, I mean, telling people telling people where you're at, what's going on, um, can do a whole lot. And and you will and and when you're not achieving your goals, that I mean that happens. But being transparent and open about it can also be a huge bonding experience because people band together, find a solution, yeah. and figure out a way to win. You rally the troops. So, well, this kind yep. of bleeds into our next item, which is a strong community. So we've been talking a little bit about kind of our uh, work culture and community in the office, but the other thing is creating a community amongst your customers as well. And this, this ties in a little bit to product market fit and one of the strategies there where let's say Stackify, we decide that DevOps people is our target. Well, that is the group that we want to really go build a community of because we want those people to talk to each other and spread the gospel and spread the word about Stackify and kind of create a tribe, right? But you've got to have the right product market fit and know exactly who you're targeting to go build that tribe. And then you have to figure out how to do that. Do you build that tribe, you know, one region at a time, one city at a time, or, you know, or you're going global, but is it a specific group of people that you're trying to build a community of? Um, and that's a great way as well to, to kind of build product market fit and get traction in one community before you try and grow to, you know, world domination. You're going to find that most successful companies, I mean, the big ones have created that, that have that tribe building mentality, that strong sense of community. So like when you say, what is tribe building? You mentioned a, a, a book for one of the other ones. So Seth Godin wrote a book called Tribes, and it is about this exact topic. Um, so in the, the concept of tribe building, 
is about creating a strong community that is at first an ancillary element of whatever product or vision or whatever you're doing. And this could be as simple as like a, a great example of tribe building is what the band, the Grateful Dead did. Right. Years. And when their, their fans found much as much value of being with each other out in the parking lot before the show and that sense of community, they had as much, uh, as much, uh, value seeing each other as they did seeing the band. And that sense of community is really powerful. So it's even things like, you know, you see people that are Apple users, yes. uh, they have a little Absolutely. tribe and I, and I know you're not an Apple They're guy, weirdos. and, and well, but I mean, are we? Yeah, it's like half of the planet. But the thing is, is I f- you feel that there's a sense of community yeah. that they support. They support the products and the clients. And now I will say that years ago, I felt Apple was way better at it than they are now. Because I remember at one point, I had a laptop that I had was trying to clean and I sizzled it out because the cloth was too wet. I was six months out of warranty and they fixed it. Yeah. And, you know, with that, I felt I felt that sense of community. They created some brand loyalty for me there. I I wasn't expecting them to do that. Um, But the people that were there at the store, you know, they do communal things. These these classes, these support things, blah, blah, blah. And that has a lot to do with why the brand has grown how it is. Now, you can create a strong sense of community around your brand, around your product and around your users and clients in a bunch of different ways. People use Facebook groups, uh, different forms of social media. There's a lot of different places to do it. I mean, and some of it's just that classic, uh, you know, community type uh, input that might be at the back end of someone's website where users are sharing their success stories with each other. And they get to know each other. They find a lot of value with each other. And they hear the message differently from each other than they hear it from you. Right. Yep. So, I mean, and here's the thing, really, in the end, if you can build that strong community, not only with you, and sometimes it's with your own employees, too. If if your company gets pretty big, um, you know, there's a, we'll, we'll use this as an example before we move on. And once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io. Um, so at our office in Cebu, we are always trying to recruit top talent and we have found some people in the past that really wanted to come work for our company, but they didn't want to quit their job because they didn't want to not be on the, uh, intramural sports team. Yeah, there you go. They were on, they're like, they're like, I really want to come work for you and, and I'd get paid more. I just really like being on the basketball team for our company and they have leagues play other teams so we're like shit we got to start a basketball team yeah. which is great for me i'm like shaquille o'neal when i'm over there <laughs> i mean i'm True. the biggest person i True. I, I've, I know i'm the biggest person I, it, I i should publish the picture of me standing next to your wife because i look seven feet tall yes absolutely i know and i'm really not that that super tall well, it's because my wife is that's, four foot seven and a half but this is a sense of community though. And that's that banding together. And this also goes well with that work culture. So it doesn't always have to be, you know, we do, we do that at, at, you know, we try to do team building events, which is harder and harder right now because people can't be around each other. So, okay. 
So we've, we've gone through, so, so far, we've talked about having a solid vision, having a great product market fit, having a healthy work culture, and building a strong community. Now, the last item on the list is having supportive mentors and partners. I think this might and be the most important one. I agree. I agree in many ways. And, you know, so, I mean, a great mentor understands your vision and the goals for the company, and they're willing to guide you to achieving them, you know, with their own tested ideas coupled with their industry experience. And, you know, the, but through providing different types of perspective on problems, and they're hoping, hoping to drive you towards an efficient solution. I think the, out of what I, the simpler version of what I just said is they're going to help you avoid some of the mistakes that they may have already made. And make you think about things you just wouldn't think about. I mean, that's, that's sure. the thing is there's just when you're, you know, if, if the goal of all this we're talking about today is startup success, if you've never had a startup before and you're new to all of this, the most important thing you can do is find some mentors partners, people, the community that can help provide some, some just help when you need help, somebody to talk to about all the things. And that's the thing is there's so many things and uh, you know, they'll, they'll bring up all sorts of ideas to you. And, and some of that could be how to raise capital or, Hey, did you know you can get free tax credits from the state if you do this? Or I don't know how many times I've told people that and they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, the state of Kansas gives away free money. Really? Yeah. But you just don't know, right? Um, and, and that's the benefit of like startup accelerators and startup communities too. And being part of them is just networking with all these people and all the things that you can learn and also helping find your first customers too. I mean, that's one of the other the things that are really benefit beneficial of those startup communities and mentors is they may not be your customer, but they might know somebody who does. And having mentors and stuff like that that can help connect those dots is really valuable. When it comes to this, I think it's important that you find people that are willing to just tell you the truth. Yes. And, you know, like, and I, I actively mentor a couple of people. Like one of them is one of our current hosts on Startup Hustle, Andrew Morgans. My relationship with Andrew started as a... In, in a mentoring kind of way. And he was really seeking that and he really wanted it. He's really uh, been great to work with. And I've learned a lot from him as well. So I think that part of finding supportive mentors is also potentially being one. And it, it depending on where you're at and the life cycle of, of entrepreneurship, you know, whether you're early, you're just becoming an entrepreneur or you've been one for a while, you're going to find people that are willing to help you. And, and you don't have to be Yoda. For it. You don't have to be Yoda no. to help somebody else. Like to your point, right? You're like, ah, I had a startup last year and I screwed up so bad. Let me help you not do that. Right? You yeah. don't have to be Yoda. Yeah. It could just be like, yeah, let me let me help you navigate some things. So, I, I mean, I think there, there's really just one tip that I have when it comes to finding supportive mentors. Ask. Yeah. Just got to ask. You know, I'm on some um, mentor lists on some different startup accelerators around Kansas City. And I'm actually amazed that only a couple people have ever really reached out. You know, and some of them, they have like, they may even be startup, you know, software companies in the automotive industry and they don't reach out. And I'm like, okay, well, that's weird. 
Well, and that's the thing. It's because people are afraid to ask. And, you know, that's not something that should get in your way. I mean, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Someone's going to say no. Yeah, that's it. I mean, hey, hey, Matt, let's test this. No. I'm sorry. Did I don't, life I change? Don't, I don't. Did I, I ruin you? I, I heard I don't know. Maybe we should talk more and I'll convince you to help me. <laughs> So here's the thing is anyone that's successful has had a couple of people or a whole list. Like if you had to ask me who my mentors were, I'd have to say, man, I got to, I got to, when it comes to what, because I've had, I've had so many of them and, you know, look out to people you have relationships. Well, Sandy Kemper, a, a, a past two-time guest on the show, he's been a mentor to both of us. Is the, that fair? The man, the myth, the legend, Sandy Kemper. I mean, yeah, I mean, he, he's just like, every time I talk to Sandy, I say, I, I leave that conversation and I said, man, I got a lot of work to do. Yeah. You know, just like finding people like uh, we had a, one of our earlier episodes, Lyril Holt, the founder of Carstar, like Lyril, we came out of that podcast and, you know, you said, I think I want to be Lyril when I grow up. And I was like, it feels like I just talked to Yoda and the Oracle. <laughs> but, but the thing is, is both of the folks that we just mentioned, if you sit down and talk with them for a while, they'll talk about the people that did it for them. Right. And if you go and, and now, and now let's go back to that tribe building mentality. Okay. So in tribes of past, there was a village elder that passed this knowledge down. I'm a big believer in knowledge transfer. I think it's really powerful. I also think that by being a mentor to someone else, you are forced to re you, you are forced to reinforce the message with yourself because I have literally mentored people. And then I'm like, shit, I get off a call and I'm like, wow, I need to take my own advice. <laughs> yeah. And just kind of checks your head a little bit. And, and a lot of that stuff has to do with things that are inherently simple. So it's, it, you know, if you're, if you need to be brilliant on the basics before you can do anything advanced and sometimes that simple teaching. So, and, and it's tough, but like I said, you'll, you almost learn more from teaching now in regards to mentoring and, and partners and stuff. Okay. Well, Matt, this podcast is free and there's about a million podcasts on Apple right now. There's a shitload of good advice and mentoring stuff out there. If you, if you don't know who to ask, Find some people that you want to emulate and look them up. They're probably on a podcast somewhere. They've probably had different articles. There's something about them. The information is not secret, people. There's it no is source. Not. Is. Yeah, there's no lack of uh, of great content and information out there for sure. You couldn't consume it. You would have to be like Neo in the Matrix and plug that thing into the back of your head and like upload the internet to yourself. Maybe if it was all I in no I know Kung Fu. Maybe if it was all on <laughs> Netflix, people would actually watch it. Well, dude, there's, okay, there is an unlimited supply of it on Netflix. Yeah. And I know because I tap it all the time. I mean, just go look for business documentaries. There are a zillion on-demand shows. If you have cable or anything, go look through it. You know, another a good one, if you want to watch TV shows, is The Profit that's hosted by Marcus Lemonis, the CEO and founder of Camping World. And he goes and saves businesses. 
And I have watched every episode that has ever, ever been published of that show. It's probably like a hundred of them at this point, but I learned so much from what they're fixing and repairing at these different businesses and different industries. And I find it to be really fascinating. And over time it's accumulated a fair amount of knowledge that I've found useful. So um, other things too, it's like, Hey, if you want to get around your mentors and you're not sure, start a podcast. Yep. We're coming up on episode 400, dude. We talk to a lot of people. I know, but that's a lot of conversations with a lot of people. What do we have to do to be masters? We're still 4,600 episodes away Ooh. from that 5,000 hour mark. Five, yeah. I can't imagine 5,000 episodes we're, of a podcast. We're going to get there eventually, right? I guess so. Maybe. I'll I mean, be, but part of that. I'm going to be old. <laughs> Well, you are happy birthday, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, it, is it, it, and know that when I post on Facebook, happy birthday, and by the way, you're getting old, that I mean that with all all love. I'm trying to strengthen our community around your advanced advancing age. Um, it's just so all facts. Says the, guy who, says the guy who's way older than you. All right. So, you know, overall, I mean, hopefully some of this stuff was helpful. Some of the things we're trying to do is, is get a few more episodes out there that reinforce some of these simple things. You know, it's one thing to talk to people and hear their story about where they've been successful or where they failed. We're also wanting to make sure that we are continuing to, uh, you know, be brilliant on some of the basics. So, as a quick recap, five things that successful startups do. They have a start, they have a solid vision. They have a great product market fit. They have healthy work cultures. They've built some kind of strong community, either for their users or the product or something along those lines. And they also have supportive mentors and partners. Uh, Matt, are you going with supportive mentors being the key or did you want to go with something else? Um, I think that one's really important, but I'm actually going to go with, product market fit because that's the death trap uh to most people even if you have the best mentors in the world or no mentors you don't even need a mentor maybe you are yoda maybe you've had 17 startup exits and you're an expert if you don't figure out product market fit you're doomed i'm gonna say succeed you will not is that is that how yoda or not will you succeed with <laughs> product market fit, you must have. Try or try. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. Now, the other things that are on here, like, and I don't want to say that you're going to be able to sidestep having a healthy work culture. Some of these other things, you might be able to put a square peg in a round hole. But what, I think you're right. I think without a great product market fit and being able to define that and have a go-to-market strategy with all of it, it's game over. Because like you said, you could be, you know, you've, you've had a couple episodes where you've been mentioning Elon Musk. I mean, the dude's smart. He's got a lot of resources. But if he's trying to push something, that didn't they make flamethrowers a few years ago? <laughs> yeah, and they sold out like crazy. Yeah, but I mean, at the bottom is going to arrive the community. on that bucket. Yes. community is yeah. strong talk about tesla has by far one of the strongest user customer communities of any product there is well you're uh, you're like a, you're a tesla person absolutely you're kind of like we mentioned like with apple and there's that sense of pride and i actually watched a funny jp sears video the other day about tesla users 
and he gets out of it. And he's like, the best way for me to help the environment is to drive a hundred and ten thousand dollar no emission electric car. You know, <laughs> it's like it's just like funny stuff. But I mean, and I, you, but that that sense of community is around more than the product because that's environmental. That's yeah. about finding things that are a little more progressive and saying, hey, there's a better way, and I'm going to get behind that. Yep. So. Speaking speaking of a better way, I, this shook a few things up for me. I got I got to get back to work. So I'll see you next time, Matt. Thank you. See you. Startup hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button. Then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. We do it.